Well, I don't know what you just said to me at all, but anyway, here's Wonderwall. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, piggies, and welcome to episode two of the Three Ass Equals One Goal podcast presented by the Pens Blog and the Res Patreon Network. My name is Jeff, and I am joined as always by my good buddy Josh. Josh, how are we doing today on this beautiful little Sunday? Doing fantastic. Thank you for asking, Jeff. Hello to everyone out there. Uh, I've taken a brief hiatus from tour. I've been playing bass for the White Stripes for the past several weeks, but happy to revisit and glad to talk some hockey today. Uh, we are also joined by the bad boy of the show and founder of the Rez Patreon Network, Rez. Rez, how are you today on this beautiful Sunday? Woo, pig suey, Jeff. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for asking. Uh, the Oh, my God. The hogs. The hogs. The javelinas. They, they are out in full force right now. Uh, what a series we have. Uh, so excited to be back on with the boys. Um, really quick, quick tip. Quick tip uh, before we get in there. Obviously, we're still deep in the rhinestone game, um, right? Watching crypto crash. I'm sitting back. I'm loving it. Uh, but I want to tell everyone, lobsters right now. Time to buy in lobsters. Uh, so we will talk more about that as the show goes on. Uh, really want to get into this Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict with you guys. Uh, and and hopefully we, we have time for the hockey and stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Cool. Thank you for that. Uh, we we look forward to uh, to more of this discussion. Um, so, boys, uh, quick vibe check here. How are we feeling in general um, with this series? You know, game one, Jari was a little bit rough. Uh, Pens played well in front of him, so you got to figure that's a little bit of a net positive. I think results match the match the playing game two in in game three. But we're all on the same page here. Like, there's no sense over analyzing a game four loss when you knew the Islanders were just going to come and bring it. And and play that style of game for for them and and what you have to kind of say is a is a must win game right? Yeah. So my whole thing was so I said pens and five right now and and it honestly it should be three one pens. Jari gave away the first game. I think we can kind of say that right. We've we've made our we've made our um, amends with all of that. One game two. One game three. You know people got real jammed up about game three. It never felt in doubt to me. Uh, Pens were the better team that whole game. Uh, Pens were the better team in, in good stretches of game four. It didn't go your way, but winning two on the aisle is tough. So, you know, you pissed away a game at home and you should be up 3-1. You, you're in 2-2. Two, two. Uh, that's the playoffs. So, you know, uh, I, I feel great. Pens in six. Let's get uh, I'm sick of fucking typing Uniondale. <laughs> Sorry, I... Uh... I was just evading the piece of sky that was falling. Um, no, I mean, look, I'm in the same spot as you guys, right? You give away game one, which I think one of us had predicted would be the case. What I'm most devastated about, quite frankly, is that the Pens' lackluster effort in game four blew my exact prediction, but Pens in six means you're going to drop two games. If you look at this, I think it comes back to a lot of the things that we figured that it would. They are who we thought they were uh, in a lot of ways, right? You've got two games to each team 
and the team that scored first won each game. Least surprising thing I've ever heard. Uh, it turns out you are allowed to lose games during a series. So that's okay. Well, I think the, the crazy thing about game four too is, is like the Penguins were, were right there. Like obviously the, the four, one score and, and being down four, one doesn't really like show that, but they controlled about 60% of both the shot attempts and the scoring chances in game four. And I think like on any other day, that game probably goes the Penguins way, but the Islanders needed a win. Shit just kind of compounded. And, and I don't know that they or, or Sullivan are, are going to let something like that happen again, but you know, you you look at you look at the series, you know, to date, and I don't know that that a two-two series right now really is indicative of of how this how this has gone. You know, the Penguins are are owning just under fifty-seven percent of the the score and venue adjusted shot attempts at five on five. They're controlling about fifty-seven and a half percent of the scoring chances, and you know, the the expected goals are a little bit even, but. What do you think of, you know, how the how good the Islanders are um, and have been all season, you know, defensively? They are just they're not controlling the middle of the ice in their own zone and and everywhere from from the top of the circles down. If you're looking at any of the any of the shot maps, the Penguins are just feasting there and and kind of put just how good they've they've been into perspective. Scott Mayfield leads them in, in individual shots on goal at five on five and Adam Pellick leads them in in individual shot attempts. Anthony Beauvillier is second in both shots on goal and shot attempts, um, and that's obviously first among the forwards, and he's leading them in, in individual scoring chances at 5-on-5. At five five. Uh, Barzell's kind of, you know, hovering around there, but I think it speaks volume to just how the Penguins are, are playing and really smothering these guys that, you know, the ones that are generating the, the most shots are two guys on the back end that aren't even offensive defensemen. They're, 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 just, they're just two-way guys, and they're the, that's where all the shots are coming from. Um, so I think that that should really be, you know, the headline here through through two games and, and really relative to the rest of the Islanders. It's it's Matt Martin, Cal Clutterbuck and Casey Sezikis that are leading the charge on the on the front end. They're the they're the only three forwards that are that are above 50 percent in the, in the shot attempts. Mayfield's up there as well. And then with expected goals, it's it's the same deal. Um, Martin's the only the only one out of the three that's that's just under 60 percent. He is just under 60 percent. Uh, Clutterbuck and Mayfield are are at six, uh, just over sixty three and sixty two respectively. So, I mean, the Penguins are doing a good job shutting down the big guys. It's just it's two two. Yeah, and I would be interested in, and I, you know, <laughs> Jeff, I know you love the math. I don't know if you have this handy. Uh, I I would be interested to see how much of um, those numbers you just read about the, all those shitheads. Uh, how much of that w- was game three and game four stuff? Because it didn't seem like they were all that effective in Pittsburgh, which then makes me think that it becomes a last change thing, right? Uh, which I think is kind of what we were seeing on the aisle, you know, not to jump ahead, but, you know, if you want to break up the first line, I'm just not there for you. Uh, I'm not there yet. Uh, I-, I think that's a wild overreaction to four games of hockey. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. You know, there's never been a time in this series, even in the games the Penguins have lost, where I've been watching it thinking like, oh, the Islanders are better than the Penguins, right? And we've all had that that feeling the last few years when the Pens have lost series, when you're watching a game and you're like, oh, we're not as good as them. And that sucks. But it, there's not, it, that's not the Islanders. That's not what's happening in this series at all. 
it's really just kind of I, I really feel like we're going to get a big win tomorrow. I think the the dam's going to be uh, broken open a little bit and, and then it's going to be like a hunker down two one type of bullshitty win on the aisle and none of us will feel good about it. And uh, we'll move on from there. It's a slump buster. You know what I mean? It's you, you, you sometimes you just gotta you gotta break that seal. And if you get that reference, shout out to you. Well, and, and it feels it 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 feels different than it did in in you know 2019 or or even last year playing the Islanders, where um, you know the Penguins could control the the shots and, and the shot attempts, but they were all from you know low danger areas. They were all coming from the boards um, because that's the only area of the ice that the that the Islanders were were giving up. And this year, again, it, it just it feels different because you know the the Penguins aren't stuck in their own end of the ice like they like they were or stuck trying to just spinning tires trying to get out of their own end of the ice and i think that that has i really opened things up um you know especially in the offensive zone and, and you know we we talk about this this team and how they how they forecheck like animals um you know zucker being being you know one of them uh, obviously tanev being someone who should probably be institutionalized but um you know they these guys are all good at forechecking and that speed is, is really, I think, helping open things up, um, you know, for more of the, for the more skilled and creative guys to, to really operate in the offensive zone. And, and I think your point on the forecheck is interesting when you sort of extrapolate it, right? You look at how the aisles have scored a lot of their goals and they're not a team that traditionally with the exception of Barzil and, and his line, they're not a team that scores a lot on the rush. And now, granted, some of those are softies that Jari let in in game one, but are the Penguins so positionally dominant that things like the bad change goal uh, that, that Pajot had in game one, uh, even really both of the Palmieri goals on sort of a seeing-eye puck, seeing-eye shot, but really very few of their goals have been a result of sustained zone time, especially at evens. Um, so you got to wonder, like going back to Pittsburgh, getting the matchups, is it a massive overhaul strategically that needs to happen? I don't think so. I think it's small, minor tweaks and adjustments that need to happen, but I have full faith that, that Sullivan and company will be able to do that. The, the goal here is not to beat the fucking Islanders, right? Like the goal is to win a fucking Stanley cup. Right. And so if we're going to make like mad changes to beat the Islanders, it's like I, I would rather lose to the fucking Islanders than have to go get my shit stomped by Tampa Bay at some point. Right. Like stay the course, believe in what brought you here and, and just stay out of the goon shit at this point, because that's really where we're at. Right. Like Jari gave away a game. It's hard to win on the aisle. And then it, it both those games three and four turned into these weird fucking brouhaha's that are not the Penguins game and haven't been the Penguins game as long as I've been alive. Well, and that's, that's it. And it kind of goes back to, um, to what Josh mentioned earlier too. It's like the Islanders are really starting to show who they are and, and exact. It's exactly what we thought they were. They're not a team that that's built on, on any sort of talent. Um, you know, obviously Barzell's got game breaking ability. Um, you know, the rest of the lineups basically just just a, a a bunch of guys that are that live perpetually on scoring fuck you goals and, and and your best goal scorer is sitting in the 
press box eating chicken tenders, refreshing his Robin Hood app to see where the price of rhinestones is at today. Right. So it, it's just it's just a bunch of scrubs that are basically just trying to drag this into the mud because they they can't they're not they're not a team that, that's going to beat you straight up playing hockey. And I think we've really seen that here, you know, so far this this series. You know, are they the 2008 Senators? They might be. Yeah, cuz I mean, you know, you you look at you look at just the way just where their goals are coming from. It, it's it's, you know, maybe a goalie lapse here, but but basically, you know, they're they're just capitalizing on mistakes. And and that's that's been their MO, I think, this this whole season. And, you know, it's certainly been the case here this this series. But I just I don't see aside from that little hot streak really, you know, going forward like that. I mean, you, you saw it even last year. They got swept in the second round because they played a team that that didn't give up anything like that. They didn't make mistakes. And I think that's that's got to be what the Penguins do going forward. You know, no more of this bullshit, you know, taking taking dumb penalties, taking retaliatory penalties, um, you know, like like Gensel has, has done, Bluger, McCann, um, you know, Malkin getting pissed off yesterday and, and you know, doing what he was doing. Um, you know, it, it's, it really comes back to, you know, what, what you were talking about at, at, at the top there, Rez. It's just like, we can't let three to four players on on one or two teams dictate the Penguins roster construction and dictate the style of play because it's a total fucking loser mentality. And I think even uh, Berkey came out yesterday and said, like, these guys just have to skate away from this bullshit. And he's right. Just get back to playing your game, score the goals, come out, outskate them, hammer them on the forecheck and and stay out of the mud because that's all these talentless hacks have left. Uh, you're talking to the number one Berkey boy right here. <laughs> uh, I have immense faith in this man. I, I know he's made questionable choices in the past, but who of us hadn't, boys? Like, uh, the <laughs> stories I could tell right now. Uh, but no, for real. Like, right, it, that comment was uh, was completely apropos. There, there are some guys I... My only disagreement is there are some guys I want to see in the shit. Like, I texted Jeff during game four, like, after Malkin's second penalty, I was like, I just threw $25 on Gene to score. It's automatic. The big fella's getting engaged. He he's activating, uh, he, he's activating his forearms. Let's do it, right? Just slashing the shit out of everybody. But that's what I want to see from Gene. That's not what I want to see from like Teddy and Chris, right? right? Like he needs to kind of skate away. Let let Brian handle that, and, and they they've got to understand who they are a little bit more. You know, you you hate to see Sid and some of those guys getting tied up in that because you can watch. I mean, like I can see the Islanders like throbbing, you know, boners through their pants when that shit starts to go down. Like right, like Ryan Pulak, like that's the shit he is like rubbing one down to before he goes to sleep at night. Uh, but he did we, he did something in game four where like after he got done doing this like dickhead shit, he went straight to the bench and was just laughing about it. And like, who can blame him? Cause the penguins ended up in the, in the, in the box because of it. It's not time to talk about officiating and all of that. You know, I don't, <laughs> I'm, I, I seed my time on officiating, uh, right, right now, but fuck. Did you just, guys see the statement that was put out by the league's officiating chief? Shug Knight. <laughs> As stated before this podcast, I have no comments on Suge Knight. Uh, 
Suge Knight's all good by me. Uh, I think he's ran a tremendously, uh, you know, upstanding organization um, throughout his life. And uh, whatever whatever Suge Knight thinks is best, I think is best. So, you know, I just want to get that on the record. Uh, I want that audio to exist. Duly noted. I've got a question really for the group. I mean, is Ilya Sorokin a problem? I mean, we've talked about how it's fairly balanced, but one thing that we have seen is twice Trotz has put Varlamov out there, twice the Penguins came home with wins. Twice, once by choice and and once by necessity, Trotz has put Sorokin out there, and both times the Isles have come home with wins. Is there a danger factor in a goalie where there's not a whole lot of tape? There's always the danger factor. My explain it away is, A, right, game one was not Ilya Sorokin winning the game. It was Tristan Jari losing the game. You know, shout out to Tristan Jari. Uh, sorry, you're, you're taking some strays in this, in this podcast. Uh, and then game four, it was just kind of like, I don't know. If it happens in game five, I'm officially worried. But game well, four. Well, and we, we kind of knew that, that goaltending was going to be the great equalizer in this series, right? Like we talked about it um, last week. And I think, you know, you look at where the Penguins are, are generating shots just in general. Um, I think they should be able to unlock Sorokin um, at, at some point. But you also knew that they were going to come out and, and insulate him, knowing that, you know, it's it's fresh meat getting thrown to to the Wolves again. He only faced six high danger shots in all situations in game four. And it was just a hair over two expected goals. I think it was only one at, at five on five. So they did a they did a decent job um, you know, keeping keeping the penguins from from really getting into the areas that they that they have been. But you know, even even looking at Jari's rough outing and, and taking that into account here with um, you know, in, in game one. It's not even so much going to be, you know, whether or not, um, you know, Sorokin's. I don't think it's going to be so much that Sorokin's a problem, just you know, whether or not Jari can at least stay on par with him. You know, you you look at you look at Jari and, and Varlamov um, side by side. Varlamov gave up two point three five goals above expectation in all situations. Um, and the and difference- we really don't we really don't talk enough about how weird the Varlamov thing is. Right, like he's legitimately one of like what I mean. You guys can correct me here if I'm wrong. He's one of like what the five or six best goalies in the fucking league, and he just can't play the Penguins for whatever reason to the point where he gets benched in a playoff series. It's utterly bizarre. Well, and it's it's nice to have uh, have that sort of change of pace compared to you know say the Yara Halak years. But um, even even just kind of going back to. Um, to Varlamov, his his difference between his expected unblocked save percentage and actual unblocked save percentage was just over two and a half. And you compare that to Jari coming into into game four, you know, just just head to head. Jari had given up, um, you know, one point one seven goals above expectation. Uh, his difference between that that same expected and actual unblocked save percentage was negative zero point nine three. So. It's not it's not terrible. Uh, the difference jumped up to one point negative one point three five, and he's allowed two point one five goals above expectation. Um, you know, with game four included in those totals, so 
you know, he's he's basically been on par with with um, Varlamov here. But he was in those in those two games that um, you know that he played head to head with him, he was better. And and I think that's really what you what you want to see out of Jari is at least matching what his opposite number is is doing. Now Sorokin, on the other hand, he he really hasn't put a foot wrong, right? Like he's he saved just over half of a goal above expectation. Um, you know that that difference between expected and actual unblocked save percentage is uh, 0.61. So he's he's performing just above expectation, but not anything like you know spectacular. So he's he's there for the taking. It's just can the Penguins really unlock him? And again, going back to to what I was talking about earlier, you know they're 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 getting the shots and they're getting the looks from, from those dangerous areas. And you would think that if that trend continues and there's no reason to think that it shouldn't, um, that they should be able to, to burn Sorokin here, you know, over, over these next, you know, one, two, three games. Yeah. And I, it's hard to disagree with that. Like I said, like there's no, you Jeff wants to talk about the numbers. I'm here for the eye test, baby. Right? <laughs> like, it's all about, like, th- there's never been a time in this series where I've been watching it and been like, the Penguins are the worst team, like I said. So, especially as you watch the the depth scoring kind of unfold within this series, you know, that, that Bluger line has been so good. The Carter line has been so good. And so we're sitting here just waiting for 71 and 87's lines to really, and not even 87's line, because the fancy stats love them, right? 87 deep into rhinestones. But I I just can't wrap my mind around why we're worried about this. Like, it's 2-2. Like, have we never watched playoff hockey before? Like, shit gets weird. Well, and aside from you, like, we we had him him in, in six, right? Like... This this is pretty much what we expected a split it on on home never, ice on on both sides. I mean that's that's fine. I will never predict a playoff series in six. That's total coward shit. That's <laughs> I believe total... I believe you called it chicken shit last yeah, time. It, it doesn't matter. They're the same thing. It's, you pick five or seven like a fucking adult. <laughs> I picked I picked the Avs to win their series in four, but but that's for another time. This will be probably one of the least shocking uh, surface layer statistics for you guys to hear. But coming out of depth scoring, the Penguins have led for 128, bordering on 129 minutes of active gameplay. The series has been tied for 90 plus minutes. The Penguins have trailed for a grand total of 35 minutes. And 32 of those minutes were in game four. So the Isles have really effectively led, uh, aside from game four, they, they led for about three minutes of elapsed game time. And pulling us out of those ties or pulling us into those ties, you've got goals from Gaudreau. You've got a pair from Big Dick Jeff Carter. You've got Tanev with the game winner. You've got Kapanen who scored on his only fucking chance of the game in game one. Like these guys are showing up. In fact, I mean, I'm not going to dive into this because there's plenty of personalities who are willing to, but if there's any story, it's really the fact that the Penguins are tied in a series where I don't think we've seen Crosby's best hockey or Malkin's best hockey, at least in terms of the outputs, right? 
they they haven't hit that level and maybe that's something to to spin to a positive here yeah i mean it's it's really it's it's been the depth guys coming through and you know it's 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 crazy right like Crosby's line just in game four racked up 19 shot attempts. They allowed just nine and owned 59 over 59% of the, the expected goals. I think Gensel more than anyone on planet earth right now um, needs a goal. And I think that alone will get things going his way. Just feels like he's a little bit um, snake bit, but you know, when, when goals start going in for Jake Gensel, they start going in, right? He's leading the team in, in in shots on goal, shot attempts, scoring chances, all at five on five. He, Crosby, and Rust all all leading the team um, in terms of individual expected goals at five on five. Um, so it's not like it hasn't been for a lack of trying with with them. Um, things are are starting to creep up in in the right direction in terms of their their lines overall. Um, you know, share of of events. You know, they're they're controlling based on evolving hockey's model um, over 54% of the, the score and venue adjusted they're, they're controlling just under 60% of the actual goals for us. I mean, they're, they're getting it done. It's just Gensel hasn't scored, right? Yeah. It's a low event sport, right? And you're not seeing, you're not seeing Crosby putting up, you know, the, the big numbers that, that you usually expect him to at, at this time of year, but he's doing, he's doing, a shitload of other things like he, he's saved two goals already in in these four games and i think we're having probably a different conversation about uh tristan jari if he if crosby doesn't make that save on brock nelson in game three too you know look moneypuck.com had had a post today on twitter right and they've got all the the fancy stats that i can read and sort of understand right and so basically gunsel crosby rust has been the 13th best line uh, you know, if you look at expected goals, expected goals for expected goals against, and then the per 60 stuff, which I think is stupid, but whatever, um, basically been the 13 best line in the playoffs. That's a better line than the Landeskog McKinnon Rantanen line. It's a better line than the Huberto Bennett Tippett line. It's better than Marsha show Carlson Smith. Like, it's not like they've been bad. Like I, I cannot wrap my mind around trying to break these guys up. I, Jeff, I think you're absolutely right. Like, we just need a Jakey goal. And, and then also, like, it, the Islanders are the worst possible teams for guys like Rust, like, who are all about the area pass, right? We all know Rusty loves that little chip off the boards, and then he goes and gets it himself. And, and then, you know, kind of the bullshit begins in the offensive zone for those three guys. But it, it, that room isn't there for him, right? When he can't play that chip off the boards that he does against everybody else right now, because there's three guys sagging back to just go get it. So really taking Brian rust out of the equation, which, you know, shout out to Barry trots, you know, it, it, it works. It sucks. Speaking of but sagging. It, what it works. Oh my God. So <laughs> saggy. Dude, Josh, have you noticed, like, really feel like we've gone up a cup size for Barry this off season, deeply concerned about him. Uh, Hope Barry's got a Peloton. Thirdlove.com. Absolutely thirdlove.com. And then, you know, maybe, you know, Barry, invest in a Peloton, baby. Like, you've got the money. Uh, But, yeah, and then, you know, also looking at this same list, right, you've got uh, the Czar Bluger Tanev line is the seventh best line in hockey in the playoffs, which is kind of buck to think about. analytics lie. It's it's 
fucked up too that they're that high when Barzell is like the first three games of the of the series, they were matched up against Barzell and Barzell head to head with with Bluger uh, is controlled 57 and a half percent of the shot attempts and just under 68 and a half percent of the expected goals. And I think Sullivan probably realized that um, heading into game four because they basically only played against him for one shift, but expected goals. Uh, they're just under 60% um, in shot attempts. And, you know, they're even getting caved in by Barzell. They're still controlling 59.5% of the shot attempts and over 68% of the expected goals. 11, 11 scoring chances they've been on the ice for against and just one coming from the high danger area um, in this series. And they've generated 20 and 8 respectively of their own. It's just bananas to to see like kind of that it's almost like a, a just a just the dichotomy of of that line and how how different it is, um, you know, against Barzell and, and away from Barzell. Well, and it goes both ways too, right? Like Mar- the line right below them on that list is Martin Sezikis Clutterbuck, which they just barely make the minutes threshold for that. But it, it goes to kind of show what this ser- series has kind of been like. It has essentially been a, a battle of bottom sixes. Uh, you know, Barzell, you know, to his, his he, what an electric player, nothing but great things to say about him. But the Islanders should have to give him back to Seattle, send Matthew home. It, it's absolute horseshit that he's stuck there playing with all of these mouth breathers. And, and so really, it, I, I just can't wrap my mind around the Pens losing a series when it becomes a bottom six battle. And as long as it kind of stays that way, it's going to be fine. It might be ugly and go to seven games, but it will be fine. Yeah. And and maybe the thing that unlocks this whole series, and I'm only half joking at this point, I think we're done with the afternoon starts, boys. Monday, Wednesday, Friday for games five, six, and if necessary, seven, respectively. I don't think we're looking at any more 12 o'clock or 3 p.m. starts for this series. The Penguins haven't been bad in these afternoon starts. Record-wise, they haven't been bad, but it just feels like they never really have it going in the afternoon starts. And I think I think you're right. I think that's a that's a it's it's going to be a good little thing for them to just get back into a normal routine for, you know, the, the remaining um, and most important two, maybe three games of, of this series. You've got to have your pregame nap. You've got to get a little bit of that collagen to improve all the keratin around your body. You've got to check on the price of rhinestones. These guys, I mean, we're, we're talking about the border between millennials and Gen Z. They need their screen time to be effective. Give Jake and Rust their screen times and everything's going to be fine. <laughs> I think it'd be it'd be nice too if um you know Malkin really starts you know finding his game and, and getting his legs going. Even if it just turns it into a into a track meet, I think that the Penguins are are a better team, you know, if if they're going in that that kind of end to end game. Um, you know, it's it's crazy because you know, you look at you look at the way that Zucker, Malkin, and Kapanen have played, and Kapanen obviously had that had that goal. Zucker's been been great, um, you know, in his in his checking role, um, at least visually, those guys are the only are three of the four players on with sub fifty percent shares across the board in all the on ice um, events. But did go eleven twelve in shot attempts or twelve eleven sorry, 
um, in shot attempts and seven, five in scoring chances in, in game four. So at least they controlled, they started to, to really seemingly control things a little bit more as, as game four wore on. And again, stick taps the fucking Jason Zucker, man. He's been, I, I thought, I think he's been, he's been one of the better players that it doesn't get really talked about as, as much, um, you know, as, as this series has gone on. And he's, he's kind of got those, those Hagelin, Dupuis, Kunitz vibes that, like just thrive in the playoffs, just skating their balls off, being responsible defensively and, and just being great on the forecheck that, you know, just things that, that win you games and, and win you series, um, you know, this I don't time think, of year. I don't think that I've seen him lose a 50-50 puck battle. Like, he, do, he doesn't lose them. He Malkin has not, always no, thrived. Malkin has always thrived with one of those, like, puck retrieval specialists. And look, Zucker still has a scoring touch when he can get his, his feet and his hands moving at the same speed with the same level of sort of aptitude. He scored the nastiest goal in the series. That goal he scored was fucking disgusting. And it's great to see him actually get rewarded for the hard work that, that, you know, he's put in, obviously like, you know, Kapanen kind of got a lot of the, a lot of the recognition for that goal. uh, Zucker scored against, um, against Philly. But that goal doesn't happen without without Zucker's play on on Myers just inside the blue line to force that turnover. Um, and you know, Rez, you and I talked about it after Carter's goal in that that last game against Buffalo. But that was all because of Zucker's back check, his you know smart play to stay on the ice while everyone else went for the change and find that open ice to wrap it around the boards, knowing that you know Goudreau and and Carter were coming off the bench and had had a two-on-one situation in the far corner against against Miller. Absolutely. And Zucker it, could teach Toto a thing or two about when to go to the pits. That's a <laughs> that that's a, that's going to work. That's going to come up later. I feel terrible for Lewis. Disgusting shit from Toto today. Also want to be on record, we are Gene is so close. Gene's so close right now. So close. It he was so engaged and active in game four. Yeah, he was being a dickhead. But fellas, like, it, ladies, where are we at on Evgeny Malkin? Like, have you not watched him play hockey ever before? Like, there was a whole TV show episode about hockey where another coach was like, yeah, that guy's a dickhead, so, like, jab him with your stick. And guess what? They did, and it worked, and he got a penalty, and then said dickhead comes flying out of the box and scores. So Malkin's so close. Zucker's been – I don't want to say so good because I don't want to get flamed on the internet and have to retreat into my own Patreon. But Fuck the internet. Exactly. Like, Gooey, you dumb bitch. <laughs> like, you're just as bad as Danny at this point, bro. Like, don't think I didn't see you leave my tweet out of your, your recap, you fucking coward. And so it's just ridiculous to me. Like we're that line. It, oh, we, we are on the precipice of uh, of Gino really, really popping off as much as the Patreon slack right now. <laughs> he he will never be banned. Absolutely not. No, forever, forever lifetime membership. Um, but it kind of gets back into the rest of what we were talking about, right? Like so, that line's been very strong. The even though it you know it hasn't really borne I can't remember the word Josh used earlier is much smarter than what I'm gonna say but like goal extrapolate 
extrapolate such a good word but you won't that, find that that's in the thing charts. Is like people are looking at these lines right now and this isn't a i will never tell you how to fan except to shut the fuck up on twitter because just because a line isn't scoring doesn't mean a line is bad right like i feel like all four penguins lines i'm pretty happy about right now and if that kind of continues i don't see the islanders beating us and if they do well, fucking hockey sucks sometimes. Like, welcome to the club. Do you guys, I mean, let's not even get into, like, John Tavares and, and that whole deal. But, like, that guy was like, Jeff, you and I were texting about that. It just, like, absolutely fucking up his neck on a very obvious neck injury. Like, this is not the sport to be trusted. But after all of that, <laughs> I'm going to bring it back. Just give me like one more minute. You can edit this out if you need to. Let's bring it back around. Right? The lines have been good. And that transfers over to the defense. In, see, in the industry, and the Arbor Dome, you know, my other multiple podcasts, shout out to Johnny Burns. Got some Johnny Burns uh, takes for you later. Please stay tuned. Uh, that's called the tease. That's another podcast thing. But no, the def- defense has been really good, right? Like Barzal hasn't been great. Dumo, Latang, Mathis, and Cece have been good. I did not expect to ever feel genuinely comfortable with Cody Cece on the ice, yet here we are. What a time to be alive. Well, and those four that you mentioned have been, you know, getting the bulk of the minutes against um, against Barzal, and it, it makes sense because those four you know, are your your best guys at defending zone entries. And, you know, Barzell, that's that's how you control him. He's a zone entry god. Um, that's how he creates everything, right? So you limit his ability to get into the offensive zone, and it gives you a better chance at at succeeding, at, at keeping him, you know, neutralized the way that they have. He's had a little bit more success against, um, against Matheson um, just in general, but, you know, against... Dumoulin and Latang, he's he's only controlling forty eight percent of the shot attempts and uh, and expected goals. Um, so from that perspective, and just defending him the way that they have, and and having you know, I think the big thing too is is having guys that are that are willing and able to to really get on their horses and and get back on the back check to to allow Dumoulin and Latang and, and Matheson and Cece to really keep a keep a good strong gap against him. Um, you know, I think that was probably the maybe the thinking going into playing Bluger against him, just knowing that those three guys are, are going to back check and going to back check hard. But, you know, you look at, you look at the way that every single line is constructed here on this team. And, you know, they all have guys that are, that are going to play that role. And I think, um, I think that's probably why you, you saw um, Bluger not play, you know, head to head against, against Barzell plus getting hammered the way that he has. But no, you're you're absolutely right. It, it's really allowed um, you know these these defensemen to to thrive in their roles. And you know, just looking at it um, for the series, Dumoulin's controlling 59% of the shot attempts. Um, Latang just under 58%. Um, they're doing decently well in the expected goals category as well. They're they're both um, you know just just around 51% um, adjusting for for score and venue. So I mean, you got to say they're. They're doing the job that that you want them to do, and you know, aside from you know whatever whatever Chris Letang did in Game Four, um, he's been he's been unbelievable, you know, through you know the first four games of the series. 
I put it in my game day that I half-assed because I was very hungover. <laughs> uh, oh, these 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 early East Coast starts are terrible for the West Coast bad boy of the Pens blog. But no, big whiffs of Latang in the first three games of 2016. Mm-hmm. Chris Latang is the guy who's like, people always ask what you doing, but they never ask how you doing. Like he's everywhere, man. Not a soul on the planet was bitching about Chris Letang with these like absolute Herculean fucking performances in games one through three. And guess what? He stood in sucking game four. Yeah, he makes a mistake here and there. Guess what? If you carry the puck more, mm-hmm. it turns out you are going to turn Absolutely. the puck over mm-hmm. more. Like, Absolutely. You got to take the good with the bad. And he this was, is, he was, this still... is not a rhinestones investment. There is downside. <laughs> And he was still I, he was still good in game four. Absolutely, he that was my thing. It's like if you that I, I need to get off Twitter and just re- retreat into Patreon because I cannot stand these people that it's like, ha, how have you never watched Gene play hockey before? How have you never watched Latang play hockey before? Like this is what he does, man. Like Latang plays. I know he's a defenseman, but Latang plays hockey like a center, like. That guy is goal to goal at times, right? Not all the time, but he is aggressive, especially in the playoffs. He's going to get involved. He wants to be in the shit. And that's what I want out of my dudes. This guy's going to be that aggressive. He played. I'm going to, I'm going to just load you guys up with, with just a shitload of stats here, right? So he played 1858 in game four at five on five. He was on the ice for 21 shot attempts for and just six against 15 unblocked for two against. And both of those were, were on goal just happened to be on the, on the ice for, for a goal against, but <laughs> controlled 83.65% of the expected goals, 0.79 to 0.15. It was fucking nuts. 11, three in scoring chances and four of those 11 were high danger. How can you how can you look at something like that, see that he he was only on the ice for two shots on goal against and one just happened to be in the net and think that like this guy fucking sucks. It, because he's, you know, a very polarizing figure within the local media, which <laughs> that's a different podcast boys. But also like that's that's behind a paywall. For fucking yeah, it is. Uh, And Dumo has, I don't want to say Dumo's been bad, but Dumo has made some sneaky bad decisions in this series, and Chris has covered them up. Uh, Maybe that has to do with Dumoulin getting his head repeatedly pounded into the boards? He's not right. Like, he's absolutely not healthy. Like, uh, yeah, I could not agree more with that. That's like, a HIPAA that's violation. Been... We're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> that's That's been like Latang's MO throughout his whole career, though. Like, doesn't matter who he plays with. He's going to cover up a lot of their mistakes. And it, it does kind of go both ways, too. Like, Well, not only know, that, he then makes the other guy look better. And so everybody fucking loves Dumoulin. And I do, too. <laughs> you know, whom among us hasn't fucking pounded three Bud Lights at one time? But it... It's maddening to me. Like it's very obvious that Latang's the dude. He's what, what, he's John Beebe, Mystery Alaska man. Oh my god! 
Okay, to semi get us back on the rails, this is really what I want to know because this has really been populating itself around uh, the Twitter sphere, if you will, uh, for for my boys Jeff with a no and Ted Bundesliga, the the infamous Ted Bundesliga. Uh, do do either of you want to break up the top line right now? No, not unless Jonathan Chichu comes out of retirement. Man, I wrecked shit with Jonathan Chichu on like NHL 2009 or whatever it was. He stepped into the shoes that Tony Amonti left. <sighs> Saying a lot of names right now. I'm worried about the game later now. I got some good names for you for the game. No, I just... It, the sentiment of breaking up the top line, which has become fairly popular among a certain amount of Penn's Twitter. You fuckers know who you are. Uh, <laughs> I just can't. I can't imagine. Like, what are you? Well, I just don't get it. Like, so, I would, I would be, I would be okay with breaking them up if they weren't controlling play the way that they are. I mean, Again, going back to it. But you could say that for any line ever. Like, so, for example, like, are you going to place Rust with, like, Zucker? You're gonna, Now we're going to take Jake away from Sid? Like, it it smacks of, of hubris. And you know how I feel about hubris. <laughs> Read weekend game day. <laughs> um, but, like... So just sorting through five on five, the standard, you know, box score shit for, for the Penguins, right? Gensel has 17 shots on goal. Crosby's right behind him with 13. Tanev has 10 um, in 20 fewer minutes. Um, and Rust has nine. Um, again, I, I mentioned it earlier. There are individual expected goals. Rust leads the team with 1.18. Gensel's right behind him with 1.03. And Crosby's got 0. 9-1. Shot attempts, it's Gensel again leading the team, 22. Crosby's got 19. Latang's third with 17. And Rust is fourth with 15. Scoring chances, it's Gensel with 17, Crosby with 12, Rust with 11. Those are the, your top three. And if you want to go down to high danger uh, scoring chances, it's Gensel with seven, Rust with six, and Crosby with five. Like They're getting it done seeing the way that they're generating things the way that they are and the way that they're controlling things the way that they are. Just think it's once one goes in for them, a bunch are going to start going in for them. And that's, that's the way that they played their entire careers together. That's uh, honestly, I was, I was going to say it as a smart ass that the only way that percentage is going to change is by the puck going in the net, but quite literally <laughs> and figuratively, that's what's going to change it. When one goes in, guess what? There are more behind them, but I think even as an extension of that, the question, do you want to break up the first line is one thing, but if I, I'm absolutely not touching the third or fourth line. So, and if you put anyone other than Zucker on that second line, they're going to get their dicks caved in like Malkin and Kapanen are out here playing cherry pick. Like it's never going to work. Well, in, in that, that top line, um, they're shooting at 4.88% at even strength. Like that's not going to be anywhere close to, to staying like that for any extended stretch. Like 
you're lucky it's been that way for four games. It's not going to be that way for, you know, five, six, or or potentially seven. Like, it's, just, it's never going to happen. It's hard to imagine Kapanen working with, with Crosby, at least right away. Like, that would take, it feels like that would take a while. No, it's, it's it's the it's the Kessel thing all over again, or or yep. fuck, it's it's the James Neal thing all over again, right? Like those guys worked with Malkin because they're Malkin. Malkin plays jazz. Crosby's like the conductor. Like it's hard for me to think of Crosby as like any other music, but like something boring. It's just he, like his entire game is just like kind of in your face, just the way that he drives you back all the fucking time. Yeah. Center what drive. kind of music is Brandon Tanev? Speed metal? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very no, obvious. Nor- Norwegian speed metal. Norwegian speed metal, absolutely. Shit that would make shit that would make Robin Leonard cry and Bruce Cassidy come. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, I want a series with old Pornhub boy. Let's do it. Oh my god, no, I'd be so excited for that. Do you know? I would just post. Jeff would be so mad because I'm just gonna post like a bunch of like Pornhub links into the ga- into into weekend game day, and for you know get get to know a Bruin, get to know Jeff uh, Bruce Cassidy. Oh baby, oh shit. Jesus Christ! I wonder what the Devils are up to. <laughs> and now Rez with a word from our sponsor, the Rez Patreon Network. Yo, welcome back, uh, the Res Patreon Network. Happy to bring you the Three Ass One Goal Podcast, Episode Two, baby. Uh, this week we're going to do a little something different. You guys all know, you know what Patreon is like. Uh, you know that you should be subscribing, liking, and subscribing. You know you should be platinum level. So we're going to do something a little bit different. We are going to go a little bit further. We are going to go to the NHL's Loser of the Week. That's right. Uh, the NHL loser of the week, that fucking medic guy that went out to go uh, try to rescue John Tavares and then like tried to break his neck. What was that guy doing? I want you to pull that video up. I'm going to give you a few seconds to do that. Uh, went out onto the ice and was like, oh, I see a neck injury. What I should do is choke slam this motherfucker back to the ice. Absolutely. That's what they do in Toronto. Uh, but yeah, uh, absolute loser of the week. Like and subscribe to the Res Patreon network. We've got some spicy takes on there right now from Johnny Burns. Johnny's really, really concerned he's going to get a Bruins Penguins series. He doesn't know what to do. Uh, but yeah, we're going to have him on if that happens. Um, he's already committed to that. He is deep into an undisclosed location. Um, we can't get into that, but. Yeah, absolutely. The NHL's loser of the week is that dumbass that came out and tried to uh, murder John Tavares. But yeah, uh, Jeff, thanks for letting me uh, get get some free publicity in here. Back to you, buddy. Let's play this game, boys. All right. So if you missed our um, our first episode, the game that we're going to play is explained as follows. So I have three mystery hockey players. Um, and the number of teams that they've played for. I'm going to give Rez and Josh uh, the number of teams and the player name, and they are going to bid against each other to see how many teams they can name. Uh, You'll catch on pretty quickly, and we will start with uh, Josh this time. Uh, Josh, you have Curtis McElhenney. He's played for eight teams, and bonus point, 
It's his birthday today. Oh, happy birthday, Curtis. So Eight how many teams? Yep. How wow. many teams do you think you can name? I've got four. Rez, can you do five? He, McElhinney's played for eight NHL teams. Is that what you said? Sure has. Can you do five? Or do you want Josh to name them? Oh, my God. Yeah, Josh has got a name. I can't. I mean, shit. I don't feel great about this. Josh, it's all you, bud. All right, Josh, name four. Columbus. Yep. Toronto. Yep. Tampa this year. Yep. Oh, uh, he did another backup stint. Carolina. Correct. Fuck! Fuck! <laughs> uh, point to Josh. The other teams were Calgary for 29 games, uh, Anaheim, Ottawa. Ottawa, he played seven games, and uh, Phoenix slash Arizona, uh, he had two games there. I just remember him kicking around early on in his career. And I knew when you said his name in eight teams, I knew there was a bunch of teams where he played like six fucking games. All right, Rez, you are up next um, with eight teams here for PA Parento. Oh, my. Okay, I can do... Okay, this one feels like relative to what we have going on in this podcast. Eight eight NHL teams. I think I can do I think I can do five. I'm gonna I'm gonna put my Man. dick on the table right now. I think I can do five NHL teams for PA Parento. Do I get extra points if I can tell you what PA stands for? No. Okay, good, because I can't. Okay. Uh, Josh, can you do six? Uh, get down with your bad self. Hey, okay. Islanders. Absolutely. Yep. The Islanders. Um, he was traded to the Avs. Correct. Um, I know he played for both Montreal and Toronto. I remember that. Correct and correct. Oh, my God. Okay. And I said five. <laughs> Shit. He sure did. Um, New Jersey. He played in New Jersey. Correct. <laughs> oh, suck it, Josh. You we dumb bitch. All even. <laughs> shout uh, out. So shout out to my 2006 fantasy hockey team playing Parenthood. <laughs> we love that. Uh, the other three were Chicago. He played five games there. Uh, the Rangers. He had 22 games with the Rangers and eight games with Nashville. I didn't realize this about Parento because, I mean, he, like he obviously bounced around a lot. He only played uh, two years with any one team. So he had two years with the Islanders and two years with with Colorado. He had one, obviously, one year with the rest of them. Like that was his entire career was just bouncing around. You know Ray Shiro's dick was just so hard for PA Parento every name every time his name came up in trade negotiations because I feel like that guy just absolutely punished fuck the pens every time they played. Oh my yeah, mm-hmm. he, he murdered the pens. And and it's Pierre Alexander, by the way. I feel like I could have guessed that. But. I feel like if 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 you were to put 
the highest percentage of guys who have two initials as first names, knowing that he's French Canadian, Pierre Alexander probably would be very high on the family feud board. Like Steve Harvey would Here's, not be shocked at all. He actually only had four points against the Penguins, two goals and two assists in 23 games. Well, as like, Kenny that's... said, I'm a dumb bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a lie. Also for a f- future pod, Best player who went by two initials is that's a great category. Best I don't NHL disagree player with you there. Who who went by two initials? Obviously, I don't think it's going to be PA Parento, but we I feel like we could get into some feel like we could get into some names there. Off season pod, off hashtag off season pod. Yeah, for real. All right, All right Josh, uh, you have the final one. Uh, I think you're going to do very well with this. Uh, so resonant. I'm sorry. Uh, Thomas Vanek played for eight teams. Vanek at the disco. This is absolute bullshit. I want this sent before the stewards. I I don't love what's happening right now. Okay. I just want that on but the record. Finally, with, you, wait, the point of the game though is you can outbid him. Yeah, let so, me let me go in with you know what, Res, I'm gonna lay it up here for you on a platter. I know for a fact I can get six, but I'm going to say four. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Rez, can you do five or six? If you think you can do six, do six. Coward. I don't don't love this because I hated this fucker. Uh, Never thought he was good. The originator of the don't touch the puck on the penalty shot goal goal. This is unfair. He's like his biographer. This is absolute horseshit. <laughs> I'm waiting for my five? ancestry DNA <laughs> test to come back to tell me that Thomas Vanek and Jeff Carter are both my fathers. Josh is going to be like, oh, he played for the fucking Lake Erie Monsters, which is an inappropriate name for a hockey team. Uh, he actually grew up in Austria, so. Shout out to Toto. I bet Toto and Thomas Vanek get down. They, like, drink bad wine together. Fucking dickheads. Uh, what did you say? You said four? I could maybe do five. I think I could do five. Josh, can you do – I mean, you said you could do six. You already no, said – I want to I give Rez the chance to even the score. I'm going to be a sportsman here. You fucking dickhead. Um, All right. Name them. Buffalo. Yep. I stopped there. Uh, uh, Detroit. I remember he finished his, his career in Detroit. That's two. Florida. That's three. Because everyone has to pay their way through that toll. Um, I want to say Columbus, but that sounds wrong. Give it to him, Jeff. Did he really play in Columbus? <laughs> Are you going to say Columbus? No. I... It, yeah, I'm going to say because Josh just tripped the wire. <laughs> yeah, Columbus. All right, one more. How, I need one more? Minnesota, baby. That's the only other one I know. That's five. Oh, we love that for me. What we a are, moment. We are evened up in the season series, baby. The other three were well, Montreal. He played. I don't feel good about that at all. <laughs> See, that's that's exactly why I did it, you dumb bitch. <laughs>
Uh, he had he had 18 games in Montreal, 47 games with the Islanders, and 61 games with Vancouver. You could have talked me into that he played like three seasons with Montreal. Um, Did they like make a playoff run when he was in Montreal? Yeah, it, he was there. Um, I feel like he was their deadline acquisition, wasn't he? Yeah, he was their big acquisition because the Islanders stunk that year. Uh, I mean, yeah, they he actually got traded twice that year because the Islanders got off to a hot, hot start. At, or no, 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 the Islanders acquired him. No, you're you're right. You're right. Yeah, he started he started in Buffalo, traded by Buffalo to the Islanders for a first round pick in 2015, which was later traded to Ottawa which Ottawa used on Colin White, um, a second-round oh. pick in 2015, and Matt Molson. That was the Matt Molson trade. Oh, man, Matt Molson. Longest Anytime you say Matt Molson's career. name, Bob Airy reminds you that he played for the Penguins. And then at the deadline that year, the Islanders traded him in a fifth-round pick in 2014, um, which ended up being uh, Nicholas Koberstein. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, to uh, to Montreal for um, a second round pick in in fourteen, which was traded to Tampa for Jonathan McLeod and um, Sebastian Kohlberg. So a, a whole bunch of nothing there. But yeah, that was that was Montreal's big um, big acquisition that year. Should have yeah, gone after a, Sebastian Vettel. That was his longest post NHL postseason of his career. All right, really quickly before we're done with hockey and we move into F1, I want score predictions from you two bitches. Game five, predict a score. 5-1 Penguins. I was I was in the same boat. I was thinking it is going to be one of those like absolute ass kickings. Uh, call it 4-2, call it but it doesn't feel that close. Yeah, absolutely. Josh, we are on the same wavelength as usual. I have four to Pittsburgh Penguins. Much like my series score uh, and a prediction in six games, which is the best prediction. Absolute chicken shit. Let's talk some F1. If you don't like, if if you're done with the hockey shit, that's wonderful. Uh, we love you. Thanks for listening. Listening, like and subscribe to the Res Patreon Network. Invest in lobster. Invest in rhinestones. Uh, but we're going to talk a little F1 racing now, boys. So turn it off if you don't like that. Monaco, give me your thoughts, fellas. All right, verbal meme. Guy who has been in a coma since Saturday afternoon, waking up Sunday afternoon, saying, "I can't believe Charles Leclerc is on the pole." It's really hard to overtake in Monaco. He's definitely going to win. Nurse waking him up from coma. Unsure of what to say. <laughs> They're too Italian. They're too Italian. That's that's what I got. Too Italian. Uh, I, I mean, I woke up Saturday morning and my gearbox was fucked up. So I totally <laughs> understand what's going through Charles' mind. Uh, just, yeah, what what a shit show that is for Ferrari. Because Carlos finished on the podium. I mean, they very easily could have gone 1-3. Yeah, and I mean, Carlos can also eat a giant bag of dicks. Like, fuck that guy. A thousand dicks. Mostly, oh my god! 
I hate Carlos and I hate his sniveling shithead of a nephew so much. Cousin. Whatever, it's the same thing. <laughs> Uncle Daddy Nephew. It's a weird dynamic with Carlos because I hate his fucking nephew and I hate him, but Carlos's dad I love and respect. Yeah. He was just such a dickhead to uh to the interviewer at the at the end. Um they they got done interviewing Lando, who props to Lando, he rolls. Uh great little podium finish for for our, our McLaren boy. We love um, Lando. We we have become big uh McLaren people, I think, in on this podcast. Big fan of Zach Brown. Are we all McLaren people? Is this Chick- a McLaren? Chicken podcast? Fried is a great song. <laughs> <laughs> I did text Jeff after the race that Zach Brown is going to eat so many ribs tonight. Uh, that, I hope he gets his fill. That starch shirt is going to be doing some work this evening. Uh, no, are we all? Is this a McLaren podcast? Is that is that what's happening? I mean, like we're we're all Ricardo boys, right? And like Lando's cool. Right? Yeah. Daniel's Danny's our boy. And Lando, Props to Lando seems, on the on the renewal too, big time deal for him. Yeah, Lando seems Lando seems like everything Lance wants to be. Yeah, that's that's fair. I don't want to speak on potential legal matters. I know we do have a parental suit tied up in this podcast about Lawrence Stroll, but I don't want to. Lance seems like a shithead, and Lando is not it, there's some contemporary hero worship going on here uh who's who's gonna win this year who's gonna be world champion is is max gonna seal the deal i think it's time like i think it's his turn it's not the norris vote lewis That's what seemed, you think lewis seemed fucking pissed after the race calling out toto wait speaking of chicken shit Lewis going in and taking the pit to throw on the soft tires to steal fastest lap from our boy, Yuki Sonoda. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here, Lewis. I don't I care if that was... point would have been wasted. You got to let Yuki get his fastest lap. It was so I was I, Josh, you and I were watching it live. And um, I don't know if you if you I mean, you caught it, right? Like they, they hopped on the radio and they were just like, hey. Hold on, don't do fastest lap yet. Do it the next time around. And Lewis is like, okay. And just fucking burn through the fastest yeah. lap. He goes, okay, I'm going to set the course record by 1.3 <laughs> seconds because fuck you, Toto. Uh, shit, what was I going to say? God damn it, you can't make a Toto joke. Like, double Toto joke is too much for me. Yeah, we're not uh, in Kansas anymore, motherfucker. No, we're not. God damn it. No. Let's talk for a moment about my boy, Pierre Gasly. What a what a, an, another great day for Pierre. Christian, he had a, you he dumb had bitch. He a really good race. Yeah, he had an, a, not just a, another really good race. Pierre getting absolutely crowned by Red Bull. It's disgusting. I hate that for him. Oh, are we going to talk about the other Mercedes? Oh, uh, I mean, what are you gonna do? I haven't seen a Finn get locked up like that 
since Kasperi Kapanen tried to play defense. <laughs> you know Kapanen's dad and Kimi Reitman were just like sipping vodka being like, you know, it is what it is. Uh, no, and that was my big problem with, I, we obviously, the pod, love Sebastian Vettel. We're huge Sebastian Vettel fans. Didn't love Sebastian trying to wreck Pierre every time he tried to pass him. Uh, that wasn't a cool move, uh, Seb. So uh, I know you're listening. Uh, so <laughs> I, I didn't love that. So uh, when next time we hook up on Arbor Dome, we'll, we'll have a little discussion about how you're, how you're driving some of those corners. Shout out to Danny. Thanks for translating this podcast into 17 different languages. I feel like okay, if Daniel Ric- I feel like Daniel Ricardo would be hardcore into hockey. I feel like he'd really like it. He should come on the pod too. We'll discuss it with him. No, absolutely. He can't be basketball. We've seen an episode where he played basketball. That's not a great he look. Can't for- shoot for shit. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like one of those videos where it's like a woman in the 1930s where they're like, let's let her play basketball. <laughs> Won't this be funny? Like, that's how Daniel Ricardo shoots a basketball. It's not a great look, but... So, uh, someone, like, someone needs to pull him aside and just, like, tell him, like, listen, buddy, like, this isn't your sport. Motherfucker can drive a car, though. Dude, McLaren is owning that third spot, too, which is great to see. It uh, really is. Mm-hmm. You know who we need to get on the pod is Cyril. He ain't got nothing to do. True. Get Cyril on the pod. I want to know what tattoo he finally got. Uh, let's get uh, yeah. Zach wouldn't Zach wouldn't come on. He'd be at a he'd be at a county fair. Um, <laughs> overdosed on tryptophan from all of the ribs. Thinking about them beans. The sins. <laughs> if there is a principal who's thinking about them beans, it is Zach Brown. Zach Brown is thinking about them beans. Uh, this motherfucker brought beans. <laughs> it turns out it's not illegal to bring six cans of beans into a theater. It's not. It turns out it is illegal if it's an adult theater. <laughs> Josh, is it? Could you confirm? I am. I could never get anyone to confirm or deny. Is it Truck Month? Trucktober, sir. Oh, fuck. I feel bad whoever has to edit this. Uh, shout out to Pierre Gasly. Uh, shout out to Sidney Crosby. Shout out to Bev. I know Bev's going to listen. Shout out to Bev. We love you. We love your participation here. Follow Jeff on Twitter. Um, shout out to Four Wheelers in the Streets of Philadelphia. Um Shout out to um, hybrids in the streets of Philadelphia. There's room for all of us, baby. Uh, shout out to crypto. Shout out to rhinestones. Shout out to stones, a unit of measurement. Look it up. Google it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Shout out to I mean, Honore the Third, who gave Monaco their independence. Oh, fuck yeah. Monaco. I mean, the boys. I mean, we, we, what you people, what you fucking piggies don't realize is that we are here recording this for you and not in Monaco. 
not in Monaco with our fucking millions. Uh, yeah, no, Monaco. Next week's pod is going to be coming at you live from Monaco. Uh, yeah, that's what we do. Real big. Three ass, episode two. Thank you for listening, and we will, uh, I guess, talk to you next week. Scoot, scoot! We will see you then, or we will see you at another time. You should get one of those other bitches to edit this podcast. Dear Danny, because of your bad takes on Jeff Carter, you have been sentenced to. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. If I knew Danny had to sit there silently and listen, I would I I would have done five minutes on Jeff Carter. <laughs> 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 <laughs>